I know of instances where women have been told, just be grateful you've got a job because we can pull anybody off the street to come and work. How would it feel to grow up watching your mum get paid less than her co-workers just because she has a different skin colour? And then you find yourself doing work that's undervalued because the role you're doing, caring, has traditionally been considered women's work. You know it's wrong and it's not just you, but you're in the middle of a pandemic and you need the money, so you just keep going. Because what else can you do? From Stuff and Bird of Paradise, this is Tell Me About It, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of our reporting on gender issues. To hear the voices at the centre of our stories. I'm Kirsty Johnston. I'm a reporter at Stuff specialising in the justice system. I'm Michelle Duff. I write about issues that affect the lives of women and children. Both of us spend a lot, like a lot, of time thinking about all the ways the system's rigged against women and minorities. We've been seeing this in our reporting on gender issues for years, and now we want to share it with you. And I'm Noelle McCarthy. I'm a broadcaster and a writer, and I produce this series. Kia ora, welcome. This is episode three, and today we're talking about work, more specifically pay and who doesn't get paid fairly. You might have heard this issue formally referred to as the gender pay gap, but um, we've actually banned that term at the Tell Me About It podcast because it feels too benign. It's actually discrimination and exploitation. Yeah, fair enough. Because when you call it the gender pay gap, it just sounds like it's nobody's fault, right? It's just something that exists. kind of makes you want to fall asleep a little bit, actually. Like, mind the gap. Yeah. Easy, easy. But it's not easy. It's actually a really big, thorny, unfair thing. And I know that both of you have written about this extensively and you're both pretty wound up about it, actually, I feel yeah. like. So can you start off by explaining, like, what is pay discrimination and what's the situation in New Zealand? So there's actually been equal pay legislation in Aotearoa since 1972. Um, before that, it was legal to set separate rates of pay for men and women and just to exclude women from certain types of work. Awesome. Yeah, um, but despite that and despite like a new process to bring claims under the Act being introduced just last year, women still earn less than men and women are still in different types and levels of jobs. So I, I feel like we've kind of heard about the um, the gender pay gap a little bit. Eh? That's the, I think it's 9%, the gap between Pākehā men and Pākehā women. But what we don't really hear so much about is the gap between, uh, well, the ethnicity how that kind of plays into it, eh? And this is one of the classic sort of gaps, if you like, in, in white feminism, isn't it? You know, the idea that if you just focus on the the gender discrimination, you're actually missing the much bigger unfairness in there when you when you think about ethnicity and background. Yeah, I am embarrassed to say that I didn't actually even really conceptualise until a couple of years ago that the gap between... It's so big. It's like, what is it, Kirsty, between Pākehā men and... Pacifica woman? Yeah, so it gets, like, wider the further you kind of go down the food chain, effectively. So between, like, Pākehā men and Māori men or Pākehā men and Māori women and then Pacifica men and then the worst is Pacifica women. So that gap's, like, 27%, which is just, like... Shaking my head. A third less, right? And this is really important at the moment, especially, isn't it, because of COVID? Yeah, COVID has basically kind of torn the 
I don't know, the veil back and really revealed kind of two things. So one, like lockdowns have shown how much work there is in doing all this kind of caring work for children or elderly because everyone's stuck at home and you just can't not see it now. And all that caring stuff is traditionally stuff women do anyway, right? Or are considered to to be good at. Yeah. Well, I mean, we say we care about essential workers, but it'd be really great if we could, you know, possibly pay them what they're worth. Yeah, because that's the other thing, that essential workers, a lot of them are women, as it turns out, like more than 50%, and a huge proportion of them are Pacifica and Māori women. And so the reason that we're focusing on Pacifica is because it's the it's the worst. And it's important, you know, if you want to end this kind of stuff, to look at the pointy end. And as with a lot of stuff that both of you report on, it's not like we're short of reports on this or any sort of information about this, right? We know. Yeah, we do know. It's just trying to get people to care. It's really hard getting people to care. It's so freaking frustrating. Like you can write these stories and you can see people's eyes glazing over. Yeah. In fairness to um, the people we're talking to today, um, one of one of the um, women who's speaking to us, she's able to speak to us because she's in a position where she has a bit of sort of a bit of autonomy and decision making in, in her role. She's able to sort of speak on on behalf of her industry and um, speak to her own experience, because in some cases, people are afraid to talk, aren't they? Like, it's hard to get people to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons it goes uncovered because you're asking women to speak out about their employment conditions, which is, like, obviously dangerous. Um, So you've got to be really careful when you're writing about it. You don't want to put people in a position where, by highlighting an issue, they lose their job. This is not fair. So we're going to start today with a woman um, who can speak to us, and she not only grew up watching her mum suffer this discrimination, um, but she's now working in an industry too where that happens. And her name is Michelle Troop Callanan. She runs a respite centre in Whangarei. Uh, and she can see it both affecting like her own work and that of her staff. Um, and to begin, I asked her about the first time she was aware that not everyone is treated the same. Very first personal experience would be um, watching my mother being. I, I knew she was paid less than her um, Palangi counterparts during the same job. In fact, she was um, a seamstress finisher, so she actually oversaw them, um, but she was paid less. So um, that was that was that was always hard to watch because she would even bring work home to finish off. Um, you know, others' mistakes or she would, if something wasn't finished, she would do it and she would not be paid for it. Um, and it just kind of became at the expected thing, even down to us as children um, all lined up in the lounge, hand sewing and stitching um, garments and things for her to be able to get back to work. So, yeah, that that's certainly, you know, um, my first time that I would have uh, watched that. Um, and as I've grown older, I mean, I had um, would see a large amount of Pacifica working um, in, in a particular area of care and support. Um, and back then before our um, pay rates were legislated, um, we paid sometimes half of what um, a Palangi member would be getting so and they would also stay much longer than anybody else they would do a lot of stuff out of their um out of their job description their role too for for, for less money um and somehow be thankful for it yeah mm. 
How did you know, Michelle, that the the um, Pacifica women were getting paid less? Like, did they actively talk about it amongst each other? Yes, they would, um, but they wouldn't speak it of it to their Palangi counterparts. There's always be a half caste in our in our in, in the group. So um, someone potentially like me, who was pretty fair, um, who certainly knew what others were getting. That's so interesting that they'd feel like it was okay to kind of tell you what was going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes even to this day, a lot of people don't um, see me standing before them as as a Pacifica person. Um, been here since I was five, six. Yeah. And how many people were in your family, Michelle? There are uh, myself and my sister and my mother and my father. So a relatively small unit for a Pacific Island family. How were the caring responsibilities um, in your family? Like, did your mum do most of the caring for you or, like, your cousins? Like, That's right. No, so it, my mother did our caring, um, but when we were in the islands, we would have um, family members who would care for us as well, um, and they would stay and look after us. My, my mother was Pacifica, and uh, my father was Palangi from New Zealand. So um, Palangi really didn't do any of that type of work at all. In fact, um, yeah, they just, that wasn't what they did. But when we moved to New Zealand, um, that continued. But my mother, as well as looking after us, carried a full-time job. As I said, those hours of work, phenomenal amounts of mahi that she did. Did she ever sit down? Um, She would fall asleep. You know, that's the classic image of my mother is asleep with the New Zealand Herald at, you know, nine o'clock at night. Oh, don't talk about the New Zealand Herald. (laughs) (laughs) No, well, okay, the the, the star then perhaps on the weekend. (laughs) And I just ask, when you said like Palangi don't do that or didn't do that, what do you mean? Were they just like sitting around with a cup of tea? Well, it was just not considered something that they would do. So you didn't even trouble a Palangi person to do that. And did that continue as you got older? Like, was that the kind of idea that... that definitely, definitely. Yeah. And the, even though I was educated with a, um, you know, there's, my, my father just was an absolutely beautiful, beautiful man, um, you know, educated to have my own voice and understand, that, you know, that I could do anything that I wanted to, um, I still carried on that role myself, even knowing... Um, that wasn't the right way. It was just something we picked up and did as carers. Michelle now runs a respite home for mental health and disability care in Northland, managing a team of largely Pacifica Māori women who take care of high-needs clients. Often they're the primary caregiver for their own families as well. The pay isn't, like, relatively speaking, all that much. And because wages are low, one of the basic challenges for people who work in the care sector is, like, simply getting enough work. Things have improved with um, with our um, care support workers pay package, but you know the starting rate's still twenty one dollars, twenty one fifty. Um, most people who work in these this industry, um, you know, would like to be able to get a full time job, but then they worry that if they get the full-time job, that 40 hours isn't going to be enough. So often we'll stay on like a part-time or a casual contract and just say yes to every possible thing. So job or hours, that comes away. But the trouble with that, if it doesn't rain, it um, pours. So you can have a drought of no work. So it's very hard to live like that. 
It must be really hard to um, have certainty, like get a loan or, you know, things like that. Or plan anything, yeah. You won't. So, you know, some things there that could could change is that often, you know, some people see when I do my tax return that I've earned a huge amount of money. Oh, you're on a good wicket. But actually, I've probably done about 60 to 70 hours a week to get that. So often, you know, wages are seen and it's of, of what I earn is seen as a total amount, but it's actually, it needs to be relevant with how many hours is, I've actually had to do to achieve that. So you've got the first shift, the morning shift, before you even come to work, or if you're on shift work, we work 24-7 here. You know, you do your, your very rarely does anyone ever do eight hours. It's, you know, about 10, and then you'll go home for your second and third shifts. Um, so... The time for wellness of, you know, thinking, am I going to be strong enough to to ask for more or am I worthy? You just become part of a machine in your own habit of going to work, mm. going home, serving that. So, you know, that is almost like it's in, that's all your head can cope with. And in a year of lockdowns and levels and traffic lights and whatever else, Michelle says the pandemic is adding stress. I've had a few people ask for loans, you know, people I've never would have ever, you know, and it's taken a lot for them to ask. And I'm thinking, you know, we're we're four days out from payday and I'm thinking, well, it's clearly for food, mm. you know, and how do I support someone like that? I mean, I'd rather, you know, I'd gladly give them money, but, you know, is it rude of me to give them some meat or some food, you know, because you don't, because it's quite embarrassing to have even needed to get to that stage. But in particular Pacifica, you know, we, a lot of food, there's a lot of food that gets eaten. There's no way in the world that's 2150 on a part-time salary or wage, even with subsidies, is going to fulfil the need of a, you know, six to eight people at home, feeding them at home 24-7. You know, because at school, it could they were getting potentially, you know, having lunch and breakfast offered to them, you know. Imagine that, not being able to feed everyone because the kids can't go to school. On the one hand, COVID's been a huge new stress for families living one week to the next. But another way of looking at it is the pandemic's just drawing attention to a form of unfairness that's always been there. No, I think, if, if anything, it's highlighted the difficulties that have pre-existed and have actually perhaps um, the situation has become more dire. So this is Nia Bartley. Nia is a Pacifica woman also working in the health sector, and she's a real advocate for Pacifica women at work. She's helped me a lot on stories um, about wage discrimination. COVID has just helped to reveal, reveal what is actually being festering for a long, long time. Um, do you think now that more people can see it, do you think that's good? I think, yes, it is good um, to unravel what's what's there. Um, but if there's one thing to reveal it, but what are you going to do about it? Do you know? I mean, whether it's hidden or brought to the surface, what is actually happening? I mean, we've got a government... You know, bless Jacinda and the crew, but, you know, and a lot of Pacifica MPs in there, 
for Pacifica, as a Pacifica woman, I'm like, okay, so what is the government doing to help our people? They are doing a lot of good things, you know, don't get me wrong, but more needs to be done. And then we have to counter everybody else who's saying, but why Pacifica? You know, why Pacifica? Well, because Pacifica currently rate highly in a lot of the areas that nobody wants to be in, you know, poor housing, poor health, poor, you know, just you name it. We all know, you know, we all know, but nothing is happening. Yeah, and a lot of that's because of the work inequity, right? Because if you don't have the income, then you can't address, like, housing and health and everything like that. It was all part of the same picture, hey? Well... I mean, the essential workers were sort of, you know, um, bandied as um, fabulous, right? It's all nice to to receive those lovely compliments and commendations, rah, 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 but show show the money, you know, provide the opportunities, help with housing, help with, you know, the education you look at, you know, working from home, for instance, that's different for everyone. Some Pacifica families are unable to service the education at home, you know? Yeah, whether that's like Wi-Fi or having enough laptops for everybody. Or having or a, a, a parent present at yeah. home yeah, parent, because they're yeah. working around the clock or they need mm. to rest, you know? So there's so many factors. In Whangarei, Michelle's fear is that this added level of pressure is here to stay. It's really nothing new um, that, this, that, that this has happened. But, you know, the trouble with now, what's happening now, it's going to keep happening. You know, COVID's not going away. There are going to be people that need to be cared for, vulnerable people in our communities. Children are going to have to stay home. Um, we have a huge amount of people up here in the north, um, Pacifica as well as Māori, but um, who, who the female are the p- predominant breadwinners up here. Yeah, so that's, you'll find, I mean, and that, of course, perpetuates the situation as well. So, yeah, um, we're slowly seeing more um, men coming into the industry, but it is slow. But the only thing that's changed that was the um, our, our pay equity settlement. It's been the major thing that's actually moved men into our industry. The fact that they're getting paid what you can earn on a road crew and not kill your body. So the pay equity settlement for care workers that Michelle's talking about came about because a care worker called Christine Butler went all the way to the Supreme Court in 2014, arguing that she and her fellow workers were underpaid because they're mostly women. The $2 billion settlement covered 55,000 workers, and since the passing of the Equal Pay Amendment Bill last year, more claims have followed by workforces dominated by women, like nurses, The settlement was a big step towards correcting historic uh, unfairness for women, but as Michelle points out, there's still a real ceiling on how much you can earn as a caregiver, especially for Pacifica women. The other thing that becomes really hard again is a heart back to, you know, putting your hand up for education. You know, at the moment, um, you have the opportunity to earn up to $27. That is is it at the moment, but you have had you had to you have had to earn to level four um, in health and well-being. Um, so you probably got again Pacifica community, even third generation too, who maybe are not so confident in learning. 
Yeah. So so they will often not take that up, will be the last ones to put their hand up to do it. And don't you get, is anything counted for, you know, the experience you might have? Because I bet there'd be people working as carers for, you know, decades who probably have that level four equivalent in terms of on the job, right? They know what they're doing. That's right. So there's no one kind of cross-crediting your your um your your life experience to even to move you to like level three. I know of instances where women have been told just be grateful you've got a job because we can pull anybody off the street to come and work, you know. Um and because it's important obviously for anyone you know, who, to have a job unless you, you're super wealthy. Um, and, and often Pacifica families are big families or women are having dependents as well as older relatives look after, be it parents and, you know, so, and if they're not paid well, often because they're working multiple jobs also. Mm. It's not just one job. So a manager may be thinking, oh, yeah, they're going to clock out at three o'clock. They'll be getting ready to go to the next job within an hour or two hours, you know. I think for Pacifica women, they don't necessarily always have always looked after themselves, you know, because for them, their children, their family are first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, can sometimes be um, exploited, do you know, because... If a terrible employer employer realizes that you know they can basically push the envelope and and have them and 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 the worker um, often will say will not decline and they'll say yes, so they'll accept perhaps conditions that maybe another group wouldn't accept. We saw this earlier in the year when workers at LifeWise, um, like a care home agency in Auckland, picketed their main office. They were sick of not getting enough hours or like any certainty about their hours and they wanted more sick leave and bereavement leave, but they didn't get it. Um, it's, it's valuing more than just um, academic things. It's actually starting to quantify, you know, these these um, traditional roles that we perform in a workplace. Um, that yes, we perform them at home as well. But you know what? We actually have a job to do, and that entails doing those things outside of the work home, and they need to be valued. Pay discrimination is happening across a range of industries, not just in the lower wage jobs. And as Nia says, it um, it really puts that 9% wage gap between Pākehā men and women in perspective. Um, I know of instances where women have changed their names um, so that they're less Pacifica in appearance on their resume. Like giving themselves a white name. Yeah, well, there are, you know, the mixed um, heritage, but they'll anglicise their name or make it seem just so they can just get in. And then once in, you know, okay, there's another 1,800 (laughs) barriers to go through. So there's barrier upon barriers. Yeah, and that's what it's like. So I don't mean to demean your situation, but I'm just saying when you say you think 9%, right, you think, okay, I'm hard done by I'm getting like 9% less than, say, my male counterpart, for instance, right? Mm. Well, as a Pacifica person, I'll be like, that's nothing. Mm. That's nothing, sister. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. Welcome to my world. 27%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I shouldn't even be mocking it because no. really it's a sad reality. 
it's an injustice. It's a major injustice. But there are some structural things that could be done that aren't, right? And I think when we talked, one of them was pay transparency. So, like, if you're um, doing a certain job at a certain company, like, say you're a cleaner or whatever, you know what all the other cleaners are getting paid or you know, like, what other people in the organisation are getting paid. Like, they can be more transparent about how pay structures work but that hasn't been brought in to legislation. No. No, there are some employers, uh, organisations who do provide that information and good for them and their employees. But even if you do have those parameters and information available for staff, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to comply and follow suit with the information. I mean, we all know there are some aspects and, you know, there's a policy, okay, it's sitting there, but what do you, you know, people will say, well, we've got a policy, but who's policing that the policy is actually being followed through and, you know, there's action actually occurring with that. I think also too, for some organisations, that if they witness certain behaviours, it perpetuates and it continues. So if somebody else comes along and they may have come into an organisation later and, and would have, say, perhaps been more favourable for a Pacifica person. But if the culture in that organisation is actually no, you know, this is not what you do, just let them do that. And I think they're not recognised for the skills that they actually do possess. Like some, some areas, for instance, they'll look at the physical attributes, say, of a Pacifica person Say for say men, for instance, you know the brawn, the power. So they'll be delegated the very difficult roles, as opposed to something say where you would use your intelligence for. Mm? Mm. And usually, as we all know, those roles usually offer a higher salary packet. Yeah. yeah. Versus the more physical. Does that start with education, do you reckon? Like, are you, I mean, we're finding out more now about racism in teaching and in schools mm-hmm. where you have certain students who from a very early age get designated or, oh, you know, you might go into this line of work or you might go yeah, into this Yeah, it's a bit like the self-fulfilling prophecy, you yeah, know. Yeah. So if you have a teacher who doesn't believe in you and, you know, will put you in a a, a class which is deemed for people who are not as, you know, quick or sharp. Like whatever. in the stream, eh? Like the academic stream and then you're like vocational you're going stream. To, yeah, you're going, to, you're going to eventually, if you haven't at that point, believe that that's all you're good for. And so your potential at that point, you know, is knocked back. Yes. And yeah. your self-esteem is not. So imagine then leaving, graduating at that point and you're not geared, say, to go to university or some other form of higher education. Mm-hmm. Mm. So already perhaps your journey, you know, has already been predestined because of the narrative decided upon by somebody else. If you've heard this talked about a bit more recently, that's because of Sano Mali, Dr. Karanina Sumio. She's the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner and she's investigating pay discrimination against Pacifica workers. Nia reckons that asking to hear from people with lived experience of discrimination is a smart place to start. Well, you need to talk to the people. You can't have a group of experts, Mm. you know, (laughs) saying, oh, this is what happens in Tauranga and this is what happens in Bluff, right? You need the people who represent, who actually live and go through all of this to send through their stories 
so that you can get a, a more vibrant and truer reflection of actually what is going on. So the more people who contribute, honestly, um, will help towards, you know, looking at solutions to eliminating or minimising this pay gap situation. Because pay gap isn't just for the, the jobs which are down at one end. It's from the bottom to the top. You've got you've got individuals, women, um, say Pacifica women. It's just marvellous to have Pacifica women in the top jobs, right, in this country. Hmm? But then you may also have another organisations where there are there's one particular manager or an individual employee who is paid several thousand, tens of thousand dollars less. Why? And you know they we can know be why. they can be super qualified. So yeah. there's that gender situation, but then on top of that, the ethnicity, um, and it's just it's just crazy that it's being allowed to continue this way. And that's why the pay transparency is important, yeah, yeah? because you can help eliminate that kind of. Um, I suppose it's oh, how would you put it? It's 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 almost like. Uh, yeah, like it's just sort of like, secrecy, just, yeah, like the, the secrecy, it's sort of just this concealment. And there's a taboo, there's a kind of a taboo around it, isn't there? You know, like people never talk about money or that's what, what you're not supposed to want, talk about. Yeah, they want you to be and, quiet. You know, like, I think in lots of contracts, it says like you can't discuss your pain. You know like, that, says who? Look, I don't want to lose my job, <laughs> but. It's always very interesting I, when she prefaces. <laughs> I have always told junior reporters how much I earn. Mm. I think that's because yeah, that's and, great. and because I think it's not fair that I, you know, that this is that they have to go into, um, you know, like meetings negotiations. and negotiations. And if someone asks me what I'm what I get, I'm going to tell them. Like, especially if it's another woman. Yeah. I mean, that's a bit of the pay transparency if you have, you know, the scales where you can see 85%, 100, 120, what you're potentially capable of earning. Yeah. You know, because there will be, there are people that I know who have worked for several years, even, you know, decades, and they've been sitting on a certain amount and then somebody else that they know will come in and will surpass all of that because of, that's what they've been offered, you know, for whatever reason. But there are also people with the qualifications, right, who have qualifications, very good qualifications, you know, PhDs, masters, da 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 da. Even your good old undergraduate, you know, degree, and that's discounted. What is that? You know, it's just a bit of paper. So there's a lot of nepotism. There's a lot of ageism. God forbid, you know, um, all of those isms that nobody likes. Mm. Yeah, I think. What's required is an, a true understanding and a true engagement, a true, like, look at it for what it is and, you know, actually engage with Pacifica people as to how, what what are the solutions? How can we help you? Because there's only really ever been one model to do things mm. and that's the Western way, you know. So when a Pacifica person comes to the workplace, unless your culture in that workplace is like you were truly into diversity, you know, and I'm talking about more than just the food and, you know, having language weeks. I mean, they're great. <laughs> they're great. But it's more than that. Stickers it's the way the it's living, like truly embracing each other and um, accepting, you know, the strengths that we all have to offer. Unfortunately for Pacifica, we've been overlooked for way too long. And as a result, because, for instance, for some, 
their ability to speak up. It has knocked their confidence, their self-esteem, and they will just carry on, come in, go out. You know what I mean? Because they've got a job because they're like, oh, you know? But why is it that way? And I think... I think um, our, we're lucky we've got the government that we have now because we've got some sort of stead in making traction to make a difference. But people have to be on board. I don't think at this point all of Aotearoa, New Zealand are quite ready for the hard and, you know, the hard facts that, that what it is is that there are groups in our community for a long time who have been suffering way too long. Um, COVID perhaps could be viewed as, you know, a cloud with a silver lining mm. to some degree because of that. But we can just talk and talk and talk. I mean, I'm really grateful for this mm. opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but we need yeah. to do, we all need to do something. So that's Nia Bartley there talking about the change that needs to happen when it comes to the pay gap, although we're not saying the pay gap anymore because it doesn't even cover it. The great unfairness pay discrimination for Pacifica women. So you'll be watching that, will you, Kirsty? that Human Rights Commission investigation? I'll be watching with bated breath. Are you hopeful? Eyes wide open. I try to be hopeful, but she you know. Does. She to does. To be fair, try. if Karanina Sumio is involved, like that woman can get things done. So mm-hmm. if anyone can do it, she can. Well, we're going to keep talking about money next week because uh, we don't talk about money enough as a society and also because um, we're talking about child support, Michelle. We're talking about um, the work you've been doing in this area. You had a series of stories. Um, Has this been an eye-opener for you? Yeah, it's been heartbreaking, to be quite honest. It's, uh, yeah, this is money that uh, really helps children survive and it's for too many people, receiving parents, mostly women, it's just really hard for them to get this money And it's what they need to raise their kids. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the reasons why it's hard, some of the reasons why families aren't getting the money. One of our guests, Leanne, will talk about that. And we'll also um, talk to one of the mums from your series, Michelle. Yeah, yeah. It's about well-being, actually, you know, children's well-being. Sounds very wholesome. I'm sure it won't be. I'm sure it will be, you know... Heartbreaking and enraging as usual. (laughs) Hard to keep the hope, but we'll keep the hope. About it is made by Bird of Paradise for Stuff, written by me, Kirsty Johnston, Michelle Duff, and Noelle McCarthy, and produced by Noelle. Carol Hirschfeld is our executive producer for Stuff, and all of our engineering and sound design is thanks to Phil, Simon, and Nicole at Matrix Digital. Our music is with kind permission from Tammy Nielsen, our queen. Tell me about it was made possible by New Zealand On Air. Subscribe and review us, please, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.